Broadcasting from occupied Tongva land in Long Beach, California, this is Why Am I Talking Podcast, a show about local events with a socialist twist. Miles, what's going on? Hey, hey Vic. I've been getting out a little bit more, reconnecting with nature. What about you? How you doing? I went to the beach, and there was way too many people at the beach, and I took sort of like a really chill nature walk, a trail that I found right by the house. It goes down like the L.A. River. It's pretty cool. Beautiful concrete this time of year. Yes, beautiful concrete, but not a lot of people, so I felt secure. And we got Jordan here, too. Hey, how you doing? I've just been, just celebrated the, me and all my roommates have May birthdays, so we had the world's, like, saddest birthday party, where it was just the three of us <laughs> sad. So sad. Uh, playing board games together. Thanks, quarantine. How about you, Vic? Did some organizing, you know, same old, same old. Definitely. Good. It's good to keep going that's all we could do man that's pretty much all we could do i figured i had to get out the house like everyone else is having that feeling too but you gotta like stay covered up and try not to get pissed off when you see people not covered up but yeah like you said the beach i took a bike ride down there and i on friday and i was like i'm not going back this weekend like oh, no. this is already a madhouse oh no Pat. yeah i i went hiking yesterday and the majority of people were not covering up well i I saw a guy on a bike with a giant American flag, and some dude literally is taking photos. I'm like resisting the urge to just start like, saluting it. Uh, <laughs> that guy's a Long Beach icon, dude, riding around with the uh, American flag. All right, what are we doing today? Rent strike? Month two? Thoughts? Yeah. Today we're talking about uh, rent strikes, tenancy, the tenant class. What it means to be a tenant in Long Beach, uh, how that started historically, and then like what that means today with this this housing crisis, uh, or sorry, more acutely with the COVID crisis, the eviction moratorium situation, and is that sustainable? And how you know what do we do in the short and long term to just stay in our home? So. There is a terrible crisis around rent in this country currently and, and the threat of eviction, mass eviction of very many people. So it's important as socialists to sort of identify and at least have a theory of what rent is and what tenancy is to encounter and change the material conditions for the working class. Tenancy, rent is not something that just sprang up under capitalism. It's something that has existed prior to capitalism. And it, from my understanding, was a way wherein the upper class could extract value from the working class, which, surprise, surprise, happens all the time under capitalist economy and cap the capitalist social system. We go to work, we labor, the excess value produced by our labor goes to the capitalist. Well, turns out, tenancy and rent is exactly pretty much the same thing. However, it's a little different presently because in the past it was tied to the land. So under an agricultural economy, as tenants or renters, we would have access to the land, be able to live on the land, and also use the land to produce value. That would be a portion of which would be taken, but it would be for us too. So how it's different now is that our tenancy has been divorced from our productivity. So my interpretation and understanding of it right now is that tenants, we get to go to work and have our 
labor exploited at work and have a portion of our value that we create at work taken by the capitalists there. And then we get to come home to the place that we're renting and living in and have another portion of the value that we produce taken by the landlord. Love to double dip. Exactly. So at present, landlord capitalists extract value from our labor in a double, double dipping way. In a, and, and this is our current tenancy situation, is another mechanism by which our surplus wealth is taken from us by the capitalist class. In this case, landlord capitalists. We left feudalism. We still, we still have the landlords, but now we also get to have a separate job, a side hustle <laughs> outside of being a peasant, which is having a nine to five. Exactly. And go ahead. Yeah, all this is just putting us at odds with each other instead of like our interaction being one of something called mutual. Now it's more I'm at odds with this person because if I don't come up with the money, if I don't work, I they're at odds. He's going to be mad at me. They're going to be mad at me. So what do we do about that? Ah, as, as opposed to before, what was like the subsistence farming on some level, a mutual relationship there, exactly. right? Kind of both each other in some way. I guess under like the ideal feudal relationship, the Lord provided security, et cetera. Whereas in the capitalist economy, it's what is the landlord providing to you? I, I guess the argument could be that they're providing you with a safe environment to live. But mm-hmm. how could we not provide that for ourselves? Yeah, yeah. it's kind of chicken and egg. I mean... It's because they commodified it all, right? Anyway, right, right, right. Which is which is a really great point, right? Our labor's been commodified, housing's been commodified. It's no longer tied to our production, and like I don't, I don't even think I could use my house really to participate in a productive, like in a really productive way. Like I can't set up some sort of factory industry here necessarily. So we were better off as peasants. At least we had like a plot of land. That's what you're saying. I, I'm not saying we were better uh, off as peasants. Okay, okay, okay. I'm just checking. Um, just checking. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, Caliban and the Witch might have a few things to say about that. <laughs> but uh, I, mean, I do, I do say that all the time. I'm like, ah, oh, damn, we're such a, a fucked up feudalist peasant society right now. My girlfriend's like, read Caliban and the Witch. Stop saying that. It's hateful. <laughs> right, right. I, I think, I think the big point is, is the social system under feudalism was exploitative of the working class. And we're still in a situation that is terribly exploitative of the working class. And that at least tenancy and rent is a really obvious expression of that exploitation. There's really great examples of this. The level of exploitation and theft of wealth from the working class, if we look at really giant landlord corporations at present. So there's like a lot of discord. Whenever politicians want to talk about Landlords, there's always like, we got to protect the mom and pop landlords, Ooh. right? Right, which we should even challenge that. Like, they're still landlords, they're still exploiting people, they're still taking wealth away from people. But what's worse than that is there are also just very, very large corporations that possess and control massive amounts of property and have massive amounts of units that they rent out. And that these like giant corporations are, have been financialized too. So what's even worse than this is that it's, it's, it's bad enough that so much wealth and labor of the working class is exploited by landlords, but now it's been financialized. So our like, financial markets are, in a way, once again, dependent upon 
this form of exploitation, which it, it's like mind boggling because there's just so much more interest now uh, in that regard. It's a form of the money making them money without the uh, need for workers. Just take the workers out the equation. The money makes the money and Rome falls. Right. Is that how it goes. Yep. And then, of course, the layers and layers of financialization on that, of actualization of the debt, insurance on it all. I don't even understand the further, like, abstractification of that, but it's it's more layers than any of us can understand because it's all made up. Right. It, and, and, like, I, I don't think I could understand that either that well, the financialization of it. But at least we could identify and call out these huge landholding corporations. So, exactly. like... As an example, and, and this information isn't concealed, right? We can go and see this. This is information that's put out there to create trust and financial value. An example, though, the apartment, the American Apartment Owners Association, they published this information, information from 2013, the Boston Capital Landholding Group or company, they owned 155,521 units. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I mean, Blackstone owns like some insane amount as well, like half of New York and L.A. And having the financial market tied into the ho- the housing market, sort of what happened in 2008, like that close connection. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's that's really interesting. I mean, funnily enough, we've been talking a lot about, you know, the, the second Great Depression we're in. And something I've been thinking about is the last crash was a financial disaster is what caused it. But we're in this weird situation where. It's not a financial disaster. It's a actual economic physical disaster of like people just not working. And oddly, the stock market, even though it's like built in all these just as much sand as it was before, it hasn't like exploded yet. Well, it did explode right away at the very beginning. Well, yes, but they pumped but... in trillions and then it like recovered. Like it's it's weird. It's it's a totally backward situation from last time. Right. That's they gave it that cocaine, place. that cocaine money. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit of stimulus, you know? <laughs> a little bit. But, but, you know, that's just one example, right, of, of one, one corporation. In 2013, there were approximately like 3 million apartments owned by 50 entities. So that should give us an idea of just the massive amount of land holding that corporations still have. And this isn't the, the whole picture. It's obviously a very complicated system that we live under. But it's probably enough, hopefully, to give us uh, the the scope and like multifaceted way that we are being exploited by capitalists, by the capitalists in the workplace and the capitalists that literally live at home with us. And this has created permanent, I believe it's creating a permanent tenant class. It's destroying whatever middle class there was, which was still a working class. And it's destroying that and just creating a permanent tenant class from my perspective. So, so we're like, what do we do about it, right? Organize. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, the majority of Long Beach is renters. The majority of the city of Long Beach is renters. And just to give kind of a, a history of like the fight, renter fights and, you know, anti-eviction movements in general and housing movements in Long Beach, you know, affordable housing has, like you said, Miles, is like become worse under capitalism, right? Like the housing situation, because th- that itself was became financialized. I mean, last week we talked about how in the 1870s Chicago fire, it became a massive issue of over financialization of that, the housing market in Chicago. And people like, even when houses were rebuilt, no one could afford them. 
and just just to start us off here, like when I, I say affordable housing, like that in and of itself is a capitalist structure and creation. Miles, I think you put it a little better than me. So yeah, definitely. Personally, I think affordable housing as a term and and like and a part of the discourse is most insidious when we're really talking about rent. We're saying affordable housing when, in large part, either politicians or or different sectors of society that are really participating in this discussion, we're talking about renting, affordable renting. When at least as a socialist, I feel that we need to stop talking about affordable housing. We need to stop talking about housing as something that can be purchased and possessed. We need to start talking about it as a public utility, something that we provide to everybody at it as as low a, a cost, a societal cost as humanly possible, a la water, which is a public utility, energy, and other examples of public utilities. Definitely. So like Long Beach is kind of, I mean, in a lot of ways, kind of like Reno's city motto, the world's biggest small city. It's kind of a good example of what's happening more generally nationally. Like Long Beach is in a weird spot where a lot of the apartments around here are managed by ruthless corporate management firms, but owned by LLCs. Or some of them are owned by quote unquote mom and pop landlords, but still run by these management firms. And as someone who's lived in a building by one of these management firms, I know firsthand that they are just basically slumlords, right? They don't like it's almost impossible to get them out there. They, if you don't pay rent, they'll come after you really hard. Like this is what, like you were talking about, these big companies do, right? They, Ironically, the big owners hand off the responsibility itself Mm -hmm. to another company. You know, there's always another middleman (laughs) under capital. Um, And they've been gentrifying Long Beach for years in a lot of different ways, especially the downtown area. It's the whole U.S. I used to Mm -hmm. think it was like, oh, Silver Lake. Oh, Brooklyn. Oh, I go visit my friend in Colorado in Evergreen. And he's like, oh, man, these fucking hipsters. I'm like, Evergreen, Colorado? He's like, yeah, it's happening all across this country. It's gentrification is just another piece of the cog of capitalism put it in there it's just how it goes it's just part of the cycle that's what i meant it's part of the cycle yeah and it's entirely intentional ah totally uh, yeah california passed california passed a few improvements for renters the pretty weak rent control and management companies started evicting people en masse not all management companies but definitely some yeah to get them out so that way they didn't have claim to that rent control yeah, moving into the future an and the just cause law. eviction. They have to pass yeah. an emergency law to stop that from happening. Mm-hmm. As soon as the renters get a little bit of something, all of a sudden the evictions go out left and right. More now. That's kind of been the game in Long Beach, right? It's like it, we're in this weird situation where like Long Beach is perceived as a very progressive town. But the lawmakers in Sacramento, who are not progressive, by the way, throw that idea out of your head if you're, you're that diluted. Sacramento passed that that very meager, but something, right? Like 5% cap per year on rent increases. Mm-hmm. And I think it was like just cause eviction if you've been there for more than a year. And yep. like you said, a lot of the local housing groups and a lot of activists and a lot of just renters in the city had to go down to the city council meetings and fucking demand that they passed an emergency <laughs> ordinance so that corporate, like all these, these <laughs> management companies wouldn't evict people so that they could bring people in later for more money. Like- it was it was weird. It was crazy. This was like around Christmas last year. Yeah, it was it was Christmas. I mean, just it just goes to show you how callous capitalist landlord capitalists are. They don't give a they don't give a shit. Nope. They'll kick people out on Christmas. They don't care. Mm. Mm, they're lost changing. Got to take advantage. This would make Scrooge blush. And that kind of brings us to the fact that the rents have been going up for a long time. 
in Long Beach, especially with this more gentrification for the past like 30 years, but more intensely over the past decade. They say that it's the market, but I've literally watched, I've literally sat in an office with a management guy at a big management building I applied to, and he showed me the chart about how the rent goes up every day. <laughs> he get me to rent. And he goes, every day you don't sign the lease, like basically before you move in, the rent goes up. He laid it out. Like there's literally an algorithm. So that idea that the market dictates it entirely is like farcical. Market. Yeah. It's funny, dude. If you go and act like you're going to buy something, you'd be surprised with the capitalist will tell you. <laughs> um, so people in Long Beach have been pushing back against this for a long time. But more recently, there's been a lot of work by, of course, DSA Long Beach, Long Beach Residents Empowered, Libre, Housing Long Beach, among others. You know, there's, there's a lot. But these groups have been coming together to fight for things. But we're in this weird pattern where, especially with this eviction moratorium, we're getting moderate state and local, quote unquote, victories, right? Like the extension of the eviction moratorium here. On state level, there was that rent cap and just cause thing. These are very moderate gains, but it's, it's something. And for a lot of like the housing nonprofits, like this is, this is how they're keeping going, right? Is they're getting incremental changes. Right, right, right. I, I think, yeah, I think these incremental changes, they do, like, the eviction, the eviction moratorium definitely helped some people, but it's missing the point of the exploitative relationship, which still exists, yeah. and it's still perpetuated. Yeah. And that, that has not changed at all. The bill is these getting bigger. It's getting bigger. <laughs> We're, I'm yeah. at more at odds with my landlord month per month, and we have this fucking end date that comes up with a huge bill, and now you're giving me a year to pay that back. Yeah, it's just another level. It's just another Rube Goldberg machine uh -huh. to put us in debt. Yeah. And even before the crisis, city council likes to play stupid about this. I've watched them be like, is there a housing crisis? Oh, wait, we have to fund affordable housing? Like, it's so incredible to watch some of the things they've said. But, you know, even before COVID, this crisis was getting so bad that these little victories that were being won are, are still, like, too little too late, right? Like, a lot of people have already been displaced or being displaced. Um, and none of this is to say that this work that people have been doing, including ourselves on some level, is invalid and wasn't worth the fight. But I think it shows we're we're hitting, starting to hit the limits of the current strategy and like what nonprofits can do and keep their funding sources right, and what even local activists like us can do within the existing power structure. Because honestly, it hasn't been working. There's been some victories, but overall, we're losing the battle. We've won a few battles, but we're losing the war in the fact that. More people get displaced, the rent keeps going up, that type of thing. Yeah. Year by year, the rent goes up. So something that's a need for humans to live costs us more and more of our labor and time. Yeah. So we're more and more on the edge. And then, you know, I like to say that this crisis is, is a construction of City Hall because, you know, now that we hit the COVID crisis, the House of Cards is falling down. You know, the stay-at-home orders got declared in, I think, March. Mm -hmm. Um it brought the entire economy in Long Beach to a screeching halt, like our local order. And L.A., a lot of people in Long Beach work in L.A., actually. You know, just that caused the secondary wave, which we're in now, which is the, the furloughs, the layoffs, the stuff like that. That isn't just because of the shutdown. Businesses just closing, that type of thing. We're at, I think we're almost at 25% unemployment, unemployment which yeah. oh last week God. we talked about that was 25% was the cap in the Great Depression, which I like to call a depressing Great Depression fact. <laughs> Federal and state intervention so far has been meager and hasn't done anything, at least for working people. It's like we talked about, it's worked for the stock market. Oh, yeah. The stock market is doing yeah. great, by the yeah. way. Check your 401ks, guys. We're, we're good. The investments I don't have are doing quite well. Yep. Yeah. Um, right. 
the capitalist system, or sorry, the high level of the capitalist system is working well, but the working class is like even in more dire straits than ever been in my lifetime right the the extractive the extraction por- the extractive portion of the capitalist system is working in overtime taking more and more value out of the working class what little value we had left yeah elected leadership in the city the mayor and the city council and even the governor don't seem to have a lot of urgency around this eviction problem they don't particularly care they say they do but they've been passing meager stuff which we'll talk about later ironically the group that is taking the most active role is the uh, California courts. The California Supreme Court and court council passed a, basically decided that they weren't going to be giving out unlawful detainers. Basically, they can't summon you to court for an eviction proceeding for 90 days after the state of emergency ends. And I don't even think we're out of the state of emergency yet. No, we're not. So ironically, the people that are doing the most here is the court because this is a huge weapon that tenants have. So I myself, my landlord has been making legal threats against me to evict me for I'm not paying rent right now because I have no job and I'm protected by the eviction moratorium, but they're threatening to evict me. Here's the funny thing. Unless I have a meth lab in my house, there's literally no way to evict me for any reason, except that, of course, for 90 days after this, which is crazy. And then the courts are going to be so backed up. I want to point out one thing, too, about the threats you're receiving. Exploiters always must have the threat, some sort of threat to hold over you because they're a minority, right? So they have to be able to threaten us in order to get us to comply. And I, th- I think that fear really does play a large role and, the, and a threat in our working class exploitation, which we just, hopefully we can work to overcome. Definitely. The threat's always there. It's just sometimes it's papered up by some niceness. Like the first letter my landlord sent said, we're all in this together. And the second letter said, pay your rent or I'll evict you. You know, like, because I said I wasn't paying rent. That's, um, that's some, solidarity, some solidarity right there. Yeah. Funnily enough, the state and the city their entire plan, basically, instead of like doing rent forgiveness or any meaningful like solution, is just to do more debt, right? More debt that can be financialized. So their plan is just extending the payment plans, right? So you know you have a year to pay back this back rent that you missed for several months. Somehow you're gonna get a job. The way I like to think about this is it's like expecting you to to get a job in a depressed economy again that pays more because every month you're gonna have to pay back the back rent, right? the next year so effectively your rent's gonna go up <laughs> for a while because when you weren't paying sense. you weren't saving yeah it's even even on the neoliberal system it it is pretty nonsensical for example i got a letter from my landlord that said pay with a credit card i might be able to pay with a credit card so it's like it's pretty obvious where this is going like none of us are even none of us are looking at this like oh paying it off later that sounds good it, it, i think this is pretty da- bold it's bold and it's dangerous for them to do because when we have our value extracted in the workplace, we don't necessarily see very clearly that, that difference, yeah. right? But here, if we're being asked to hand over a check, we very clearly see that extraction of our wealth from us. So, you know, if people are paying 50, 60, 70% of their monthly wage to their landlord, I don't know. That's not yeah. easy to conceal. You can't conceal that. This is radicalizing a lot more people in New York, the Bay Area, things like that, to do a lot of rent, organized rent strikes about this and demand uh, rent forgiveness. I'm in a similar situation right now where me and my fellow tenants are paying rent and we're making some demands because these are desperate times and like it requires desperate. Men- the landlords are desperate as well. Like we've, we've def- we're seeing that right now with this whole debt scheme. Yeah, because there are many, many of them, not all of them, but many of them are in debt too. If they have a mortgage on, yes, on what do. they're paying. Yeah. So 
So like it's important to acknowledge like this exploitation goes all the way up. It, 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 there's always another person holding the gun behind that person. So this rent thing is getting worse and worse and worse. So I don't know if you guys noticed, but I've seen a lot of for rent signs. And now the for rent signs are staying up a lot longer because of this pandemic. No one's trying to relocate except me. I'm trying to relocate during this pandemic. But as the rentals pile up, we're seeing how Long Beach has such a housing surplus. And it's easy just to move people into the houses they need to be in. But since in the dense the dense areas where they have the rentals, no landlord will give anybody a lease longer than 18 months. So that means that your home, the cornerstone of your stability, comes 18 months at a time. If, if you're lucky, or 12 months at a time, and then you and have then, to rebargain. Yeah, you have to be able to pay more. Because what are you going to do? Say no and move? Yeah, which costs. Right. Yeah, that's a cost in itself. So now we see the city just allow these units shuffled over and over again like a bad deck of cards. And throughout everything that we've been talking about now, about rent, the rent strikes, what the city's not doing to help people, how the bill is just piling up and piling up, and the expectation is to just pay all this all while we're having a depression. So the bottom line is this private property is the problem. It's not the people who own the property. It's the situation that allows private property to be. And that is the root of the problem right there. Yeah, de definitely. I mean, because what we're seeing is we're seeing that, I mean, there's all these flowery ideas tied to private property about liberty and freedom. And, and it's like, okay, that's clearly not the case. It hasn't panned out that way for the majority of people. If we're talking about, Hey, the historical benefactors of white supremacy and like white landholders and and business class capitalists. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, they're free. They're, they're experiencing economic freedom, but the majority of us aren't. And I think that like this demand for rent forgiveness, it's it's part of the positive steps. But we have to also think like that still still then private property is is around and is a problem. So we need to think beyond that demand to the stronger demand to uh, for the abolition of private property like like socialists right yeah and like use the words like abolition yo man i'm a fucking black dude we were slaves here and there were people talking about abolition of slavery and they knew they were not going to see that happen in their lifetime they knew that but if they didn't do the work i wouldn't be here right now talking to you so yeah we're talking about abolition straight up straight up talking about abolition For today's guest, I'd like to welcome Beto from Long Beach Libre. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. How's it going, Jordan? Thank you for having me here today. Thank you for coming on. You're one of the best housing organizers in Long Beach, and you have some really good perspectives, so I'm glad we could get you on today. Thank you so much, Jordan. And, you know, I really love what I do, and I enjoy the work that I do. And, you know, it's uh, I got my start, you know, with Housing Long Beach in 2018, so... Yeah. You know, shout out to them as well for, the, you know, teaching me some of the ropes, but definitely have learned a lot uh, on my own and through other organizations and, yeah. you know, teachings. So I'm really happy to be here. Can you explain a little bit about like what your role is and what Libre is? Yeah. So my role currently at Libre, I'm the project director and Libre stands for Long Beach Residents Empowered. We're a tenant advocacy group in the city of Long Beach. 
And so a lot of the work that we do is uh, surrounding like tenant organizing, but more than anything, we do a lot of like policy work as well as HUD organizing, which makes us a little different from other organizing groups, you know, across the state, because we also work with like a Section 8 and HUD, HUD residents. And so that's one thing that, you know, we have a lot of focus in. So when you say working with HUD residents, what does that mean practically? So, uh, you know, there's a lot of senior buildings in, in Long Beach, and we work with approximately five or six of them in the city. And so we have uh, tenant associations that we work with and support uh, local organizing. So, for example, uh, one of the best examples that we have is like Providence Gardens on 10th and Pine in downtown Long Beach. One of the strongest is tenant associations that we work with, well-organized. And, you know, this group there is like we, they meet every month as of right now due to COVID-19, they haven't been able to meet. But one of the ways that we were supporting them in the organizing is, you know, helping them reach out to the Spanish speaking tenants and going to their meetings on the weekend and translating for them. So that's what I refer to when we talk about hot tenants is, you know, we work with the senior population inside of the senior buildings. That's awesome. I I know there's a lot of need in the senior buildings in Long Beach. And in terms of, you said legislation, what does that look like? Mostly like local from what I understand? Yeah, so, you know, and I want to be transparent about it as well, right? So Libre uh, began in 2016. I didn't come into the picture until six months ago. And I feel like there was a lot of changes that came within the, the, you know, the changes that happened uh, with staff. And so I don't know too much of the work from back then. You know, I, I do recall during my time I was in Long Beach working alongside uh, some of the Libre staff, you know, and, you know, passing on organizing tips and just communicating. But now it's like, I feel like my, I guess the way that I'm working with people right now, it's like we're going for tenant policies to help protect tenants. Yeah. Uh, but that's, I guess, where we're at right now. So, for example, in the past six months that I've been at Libre, you know, we've been in four policy fights. Right, starting with an eviction moratorium at the end of the year last year. And then we came back, and, and then what we did was uh, close the loophole campaign. And that was, you know, the first in the state. We were able to ensure that anybody who's getting kicked out for substantial rehab, before they get a 60 day notice, the company has to pull out permits. What does that do? It slows down the eviction process for a lot of these companies that just wanted to kick people out. They weren't even going to remodel substantially, they were going to do minor fixes. And so now the companies that are actually going to remodel, they have to pull the permits and they are supposed to attach them to the back of that notice as well. The third policy fight that we got into right along. And, and again, the work that we do a lot is uh, with the Housing Justice Coalition as well. So it's not like Libre just taking on the fight. It's like we work with our community partners and we ensure that, you know, we're all active in this fight because at the end of the day, every organization has residents that rent. And so we try to bring in every group and, you know, make sure that we keep people in their homes. The third one, like I was saying, was the eviction moratorium during COVID at the beginning of COVID-19, right, which expires this uh, 31st of this month. And so right now we're in our fourth policy fight, which is extending the moratorium as yeah. well as extending the repayment period to 12 months in Long Beach. And there's also now a report back on the ten- anti-tenant harassment policy. So hopefully that comes down the pipeline soon. Definitely. Yeah, you've you've done a lot in a fairly short period of time. And like you said, in coalition, I've been involved on in some level with some of that stuff. And it's it's work. It's hard. Just real quick, before we get into the policy stuff, I wanted to ask, 
we're talking on this episode a bit about rent strikes. I wanted to ask, I think this might have been earlier when you were in housing Long Beach, perhaps, but what's your experience with rent strikes in this city as an organizer? Oh, man. Rent strikes, you know, tend to be like the last resort, right? When working something out with the landlord just doesn't work out, which tends to be the case most of the time. The reason being is that it's no longer what it used to be. Like back then, you would at least know your landlord and who they are, and they would know who the tenant is. Now it's corporate landlordship, meaning that the company that owns your building doesn't really know you because they hire a property management company to manage their property. And so there's never that relationship. So you never get to that point. So usually the last resort, like I said, is a rent strike. And yeah, you're right. My first taste of a rent strike was at Housing Long Beach in 2018. Five-month rent strike off of the in, the in the downtown Long Beach area, actually, right there off of 9th and Pacific and then 10th and Cedar. So it was a joint strike because they were owned by the same company. Successful rent strike. We took on Beachfront Property Management Company at that time. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a battle, but luckily, you know, we had strong and, you know, we worked with the tenants very closely, organized properly, and they were successful. What was the outcome of the of the of the rent strike? So they were they didn't have to pay back rent for the months that they striked. They got, I believe, a two thousand dollar payout at, at, at eviction court. And they also sealed their record, meaning they don't have an eviction on their on the record. Aside from that, there was also a second. That's amazing. Law. What was the reason for that strike specifically? So for that, for that pro- at that time, um, there was a spike on evictions. Long Beach at that time didn't have any protections. There was no rent control. There still wasn't any rent control there. And so the property management, like there was a lot of investment happening in Long Beach, which caused a lot of purchase of, of properties, buildings. And so then these owners, new owners would just want to evict everybody because there was like nothing oh. stopping them from doing it. There was no yeah. uh, just cause evictions. So they could literally just give you a 60-day notice and get you out of there. So you had to use that strike power, use that strike power to successfully like get them to not get an eviction notice, not have to pay rent for those months. And did everybody get forced out or did they stay or what happened with that? So what happened, we we got a, you know, somebody called in and let us know that, hey, you know what, like my building just got notices in the first floor. And, you know, actually the, the, the person who called us is Anayenti, someone who's also known in Long Beach, right? Uh, at that time, she was a Cal State uh, Long Beach student. And she tipped us off on like, hey, my, the, my building got notices at the first floor. And she at that time lived in the second floor. And so the way that we had known or what we have known from like, notices is that first they go for one part of the building then they go for the second piece and so that's what ended up happening so after the first 30 days of the first notices going out they issued notices to the second floor and by that time some of the first yeah some of the first floor uh, residents had already left but some of them had stayed and so then all the second floor residents were were with 60 day notices so then we called the meeting and then that's when we said hey who's who's gonna sign on and who's gonna you know, fight. The goal there for a lot of folks, a lot of folks knew it was inevitable that they were going to get kicked out. So a lot of folks, what they wanted was time. And so that's what we did. So in order to prepare properly, the rent for the rent for March was paid. But then in April was when we launched, right? April 1st was the day that, hey, we're not paying rent. Um, And everybody didn't pay rent. And that's when we have, we waited to see what the company was going to respond with. But before we launched that rent strike, we had already prepped the residents with legal resources. 
So they already had an eviction defense team ready to go in case the issue, uh, in case the issue went straight to the courts. It didn't go straight to the courts, so we started doing um, press conferences. We started calling in the news. We started delegating the company. We started delegating the council. So at that time, it was wow. uh, Councilwoman Lena Gonzalez because it was a District 1 issue. Yeah, I mean, the, the tenants were great. You know, they, they were willing to fight. We went to city council a couple of times and voiced what was happening at this building, what living conditions the people were in, how disrespectful, how much harassment that the tenants were going through with the company. Yeah. And it was just, a, it, was a, it was an intense fight for, for, for some months. Um, we finally went to court in July. And so then at the July court meeting, okay, so actually let me take it back. The rent was paid for February, but not for March. And then that's when we launched. There we go. So then in July court happened. This is when the company finally decided to go to court. So they yeah. filed the eviction cases against everybody. So that's when we all went to court and that's where they won the $2,000 payout. They didn't have to pay back the rent that, that was owed. And then they also got another month to move out. So you won that, not to get too in the weeds, but that court case was won by, did you prove retaliation or what did you rely on there? So when you go to eviction court, um, you have two options. Your first option is the first thing that you'll go through, which is a negotiation. And this is where you negotiate with the other side to see how do you proceed on your case before you go in front of the, the judge. The second option is you go to trial. And that's where you go in front of the judge and both sides present their, their facts. The company had no chances of, you know, winning, but saying that, you know, they were evicting them and they was their right. And they were right. It was their right. They could have done that. But there was just so much that had happened in the months before the trial that they decided to negotiate. And that was a negotiation. Got it. So it was because of that pressure. Uh, you, had, yeah. you had built up pressure kind of outside of the legal system that forced them to kind of settle. Yeah, that is correct. And then the thing about it is also on that case is that we had an open, you know, an open lawsuit against the company mm. for the habitability issues. Yeah, there was black mold on a lot of the units. There was a lot of uh, cockroaches, rats, bed bugs, spiders, and there yeah. was it, it was all documented. And one one lady in her unit, at one point, she even had a mushroom coming out of her restroom. Ooh, that's gross. So yeah. like that, that's a really good example, I think, of a, of a big win you had against like a big corporate landlord over, you know, an eviction and habitability problem specifically. Like, like you said, a rent strike is a last resort. I wanted to ask you a little bit about the current situation of renters in Long Beach. The fact that a lot of us, including myself, are doing de facto rent strikes because we can't pay. And like, I guess that how that's different and what you're what you're seeing in the city with renters and like if you're working with anybody who's striking. So... There's a lot of fear that comes with it, right, when you're striking because of the way that relationship works, you know, or the way that power works. Anytime, you know, that you go against money, you have a lot against you and a lot of people get scared. You know, we also have to understand that there's a lot of immigrants as well in Long Beach, undocumented folks who cannot risk, you know, getting kicked out of their unit or cannot risk getting in trouble. And so at least to a lot of them to just leave and not fight. But at the current situation, it's like, honestly, like the, the two months of, of, of COVID right now, a lot of people are not going to be able to pay rent for June. This is where we're going to see probably the biggest rent strikes happening, where more people are just running out of any funds that they had 
Yeah. And so this is where we we expect to see more people just saying, hey, we can't pay rent. And this is where people have to take also into consideration the laws and that there are laws to protect them, not just against harassment, but also against, you know, not paying your rent and not getting evicted for that right now. The way that the laws are, are, sta- are stating and, you know, after today's vote, we'll see where we land. And then, you know, we have to assist uh, tenants to make sure that we give them new notices to issue to their landlord. So the message out there Definitely. is, you know, if you cannot pay your rent, send that letter into your landlord, letting them know so they won't evict you. And if for whatever reason they try to evict you, although the courts aren't working right now, but when the courts do work and they try to evict you for non-payment of rent, you'll have a defense. You yeah. gave the landlord a letter stating that you couldn't pay your rent due to X reason. And for those reasons, you'll be good. You had talked about the need for more direct action over political will in the city. So I guess I wanted to ask, like, what, what are you thinking about next steps? I know this vote is happening, but what's your kind of roadmap here? Yeah, I mean, we fall into the politics all the time, right? On, you know, what can we do? What can't, do we have the votes? It always falls down to that. And it's so disappointing to see, you know, how many people are suffering and going through it. And as an organizer, you're on the ground, you're talking to people. They are like letting it all out with you uh, and you're taking it all in. And these are families that are struggling. And it's like when you talk to the politician, it's as if they don't believe you or they have more at risk, political careers at risk. That's what I would like to say. Yeah. Um, That they don't want to go for it for the full bag or the full punch. Yeah. Um, I mean, we saw at the last meeting, the usual suspects like Susie Price and Stacey Mungo and my council member Supernaw, for example, they knocked it down from 90 days to 60 days on the moratorium. Yeah, and then their their benchmarks, the benchmarks that they were proposing to like pay back rent were ridiculous. They wanted to, uh, you know, kind of dictate on the way that things were going to work out or how much people should pay. So it's just, it's so ridiculous. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, Long Beach has not had the amount of direct action similar to like Los Angeles, San Francisco, where we see some of the more quote-unquote what people like to call radical changes. So I think it's time that Long Beach gets that fair share of, uh, you know, direct action, whether it's shutting down the street, whether it's, you know, occupying an office, whether it's sitting out in front of a, a city hall on a hunger strike, whatever we have to do in order to really create that political change, I think we have the power and I think we have the will and I think we have the people. And as long as you have the support of the people, that's all the support you need. Because at the end of the day, there's more of us than there is of them. And it goes down to that part. And for example, 2018 is a great year. The landlords were hosting a convention at the convention center. And what did we do? We responded to that action, to their convening with an action early in the morning. You know, we shut down the street off of Ocean and Pine, you know, heading down towards the convention center. Did they come back the year after? No, they didn't. <laughs> Did they enjoy their stay? Probably not because they were welcome with bullhorns and people shouting at them and telling them to get out of here. Yeah. And to stop kicking people out. Same thing with these companies. I mean, just this year as well, um, you know, working alongside Housing Long Beach as well, both organizations collaborating, helping tenants out together, co-organizing buildings, doing direct actions, going into offices. These companies back off, but it's not a permanent back off because there's not enough people that are joining these type of actions. And we get it. There's a lot of fear that comes with that. It's a big step. But anybody who engages in any political action or direct action 
comes out of the action empowered and then they tell other people about it and then those people then start joining and that's what has been happening we look at um what has happened for example may day right during the time of COVID, i feel like we had more people turn out this time than you know when we do it in person and it just talks about the power and how many more people are joining actions and groups to start getting organized so post pandemic I'm excited to see where we will go when we organize. Definitely. That's been something we've been thinking about a lot too. In terms of direct action, obviously you're calling for more, which makes sense. I participated in the first car caravan with DSA Long Beach and then the May Day one, which seemed to go really well. I've heard reports that some of the more wiffle waffly council members actually use that as a direct justification to vote for the second eviction moratorium, this extension that's getting voted on or finalized today, I should say. Has that been yeah. your experience that the current actions have like done a, had an effect? They create pressure in the sense that, you know, council members are in their homes right now, right? So they actually get to see their neighbors outside. And when we were passing by houses, like the neighbors were coming out and the council members were seeing their neighbors cheering for us as we passed by with our messages, right? Calling for the cancellation of rent, forgiveness of rent. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, why do we have to resort to this? Why can't we just not fall into our morals and our values and stand up for thy neighbor, right? A lot of people like saying, hey, we're good Christians or we're good people. If you're really that, stand up for your values and your morals. Protect those people, not corporate greed, not money. You know, we always say, you know, people over profit. Imagine if we actually lived in a society where we prioritize the health of people rather than the profits of corporations. Because at the end of the day, like I said, the, the, the whole landscape has shifted. It's no longer, you know, hey, I'm your landlord and I know you and we got to, you know, chat it up at one point. Now it's I'm a company and I'm coming to kick you out. And that's what happens. Yeah. Not a lot of tenants are being allowed to stay. And these are long-time Long Beach residents that we're losing. And then we have all these nice buildings coming up, but then they're not affordable. And, you know, we don't have an inclusionary housing policy in Long Beach either that makes some of these units affordable. And even the current proposed ordinance, or the not ordinance, but the current proposed uh, inclusionary housing policy isn't strong enough. It's almost as a slap in the face, you know? It's like Long Beach has a chance to do things right, and then they go the other route. Definitely. That's a great way to put it. I mean, that's been a frustrating thing about this city the entire time I've lived here. It has a reputation as a quote-unquote progressive bastion, but especially when it comes to housing, it's like it goes almost down the Orange County route. That brings me to my next question. You know, ideally, setting aside the political constraints for a second, what would be the ideal way to address this crisis in the short and long term? Because I think it's important to visualize like what we want, you know, regardless of if it's feasible to like try to achieve that. So like, what would be the ideal solution, I guess? I think that the ideal solution, right? And a lot of people, and, and, and this is where sometimes the, like the, the clashing of views happen, right? But, you know, I come from a country, which is Mexico, where people own their homes, right? And they're just paying their utilities. And people live such a happier life when they're able to know that they have a secure home waiting for them. And so for me, I think if the opportunity allowed presented itself where people were either, you know, allowed to own their building or own their home, or we get rid of, you know, landlords, which that's a long way from now. But if we even allowed or help open up the home ownership route for people, I think a lot of more people would get active. I think a lot of more people would feel secure. I think a lot of more people would be even healthier 
because I wouldn't have to carry over the stress of how am I going to meet this month's rent. That's a great way to think about it. I mean, it comes down to income, right? Also income inequality, the way that it faces our communities and, you know, what communities are impacted the most. It's always the communities of color that are, you know, suffering the most, the low income working class. And so how do we start changing that? Well, how do we start seeing humanity rather than profitability? It gets to a lot of those points. So long-term solution is, you know, either we end the whole idea of property and we allow people to just have homes or we open it up and allow people to get into home ownership. We could say, oh, there's a lot of opportunity out there for you to own a home. We look at the prices. Yeah, that's not happening. Yeah, it's this, yeah. it's there's difference between opportunity and affordability. That's a great way to think about it and those those like short and long term solutions there. That kind of does it for my questions. Is there anything else you wanted to say or bring up? Nah, I mean I think that the biggest point for me right now is just like, you know, don't be afraid. Get organized, talk to your neighbors. Of course, you know, take the safety precaution protocols that are outlined right by the C D C as well as by the city. Just see who your neighbors are. I feel like, you know, in America, we have this idea of we don't talk to each other. We don't say hi to each other. And it's based off of what we've been taught, what we see on the media, and just the way that, you know, this country works and operates. In Mexico, people say hi to each other if they know each other, if they don't know each other. And it's just this, it's just this different environment. So talk to your neighbors, get organized, fight back. And if you need some support, just feel free to reach out to us. We're very, very, very reachable through our social media platforms. And so that's, you know, on Instagram at we are LBRE. And then on Facebook is just Long Beach Residents Empowered. We're actually a pretty fun group. If you ask me, we like to host uh, some, what was the other day we hold? Uh, we held uh, oldies and renter rights on Instagram <laughs> Live. The other day we, you know, also helped support the Undocu Fund by doing, you know, our Baile Rentero Selena edition. And so I also helps out the community. And so just, you know, use this as a resource. We're not here to tell you what to do, but we're also here to help. So feel free to reach out. Definitely. I know you and Libre have connected me with some great legal resources for my rent fight and organizing strategies. So I would encourage listeners to, if you live in Long Beach and you're in a similar situation as me where you can't afford your rent, Libre is a great resource to reach out to and pull from. All right. I'd, I'd like to thank you for coming on today, Beto. This has been really helpful. All right. Thank you so much, Jordan, for having me here. I really enjoy this. And at the end of the day, I look forward to seeing each other after this pandemic. I know. The only time I see you is at the car caravans and I just wave. <laughs> <laughs> it's free. Real estate. We're giving you land. It's free. We're giving you a house. It's real estate. Free. It's a free house for you, Jim. This is free real estate. Well, you got to bring furniture, but the house is free. Two bedrooms, no rugs. It's free. You All right. To dive into this free. article... That request came from Councilwoman Janine Pierce, who introduced the item and said that making mandatory partial payments was part of the ordinance could open up renters to eviction. The moratorium would also extend to commercial properties, with the exceptions of large companies that have like over 500 employees, those that are publicly traded, multinational entities, of course, and those renting from the port of Long Beach, Long Beach Airport, or the city's tidelands. It's my hope that at the end of this vote, that we have support from tenants, but also for property owners, Pierce said. By the way, this is far and away the most progressive person on the council, like by a light year. I mean, it's interesting. Like, I agree with Mm -hmm. that, that commercial 
uh, tenants should also have protection right now, to be honest with you, because I honestly, I don't think it's smart to kick out all the local businesses just because their landlord is pissed off. Like, you know, like that's that's also not good. The late night vote came after a long discussion where other council members tried to tweak the item to include language mandating partial payments. <sighs> council women. Oh, boy. Susie Price and Stacey Mungo <sighs> advocated for this in an attempt to shrink the potentially large, quote unquote, balloon payments. Balloon, that could huh? face Yeah, that could face renters next July if they don't pay during the moratorium window. Damn, that's crazy. If only there was another way to make sure they don't fall into debt. Like, this is the same usual suspects, dude. It's always Susie Price and Stacey. But especially Susie Price. I, I tuned in at like 11 p.m. and they were on a sub-sub motion. As someone who used to be in student government, let me tell you, this is some like hokum bullshit they're doing. They're doing procedural tricks to like fuck with every single piece of legislation. The state of California will soon consider legislation that could help offset the losses seen by landlords. Oh, okay. That's great. Let's protect landlords. That's great. Uh, through mispayments during the eviction moratoriums passed by local governments. State legislators could vote on a bill that would offer tax credits to landlords equal to the amount of rent they lost during the pandemic and would require tenants to repay the state what? for those tax credits what? over a 10-year <sighs> period. Okay, so if, we're not, if it's not private debt, we're going to go into public debt? I, don't we already... Don't we already Put money into the public system via taxation. Rube Goldberg, eat your fucking heart out, dude. Like, he could have never, ever come up with something more complicated and Byzantine than this. Tax credits to landlords. I hope we can all appreciate our public indebtedness via the social contract. Oh, so, yes. We're not, we're not really getting anything, but we are going to be in debt. We get to fear, feel the yoke of debt. For 10 years, potentially. But, but they get a tax credit, so therefore their tax liability is lessened and more less money comes out their pocket, but the people get the yoke of the goddamn state to fucking pay them back? Get the fuck out of here. So not only do you pay through your taxes, you, from what I'm reading in this law, it's that, like, let's say I don't pay rent, I have to pay the state directly over 10 years. Like, I literally... Like, what is that, dude? I literally don't know how that would function. Like, what, where am I going to send the money? Who's going to find me? Like, who's going to enforce are we gonna have it? have a new department? Wage garnishments. Wage garnishments. Oh, oh, yeah, for sure. But it's like the amount of money that would be spent on, like, because well, at most we're talking about, what, four months of rent here? We'd have to form a new California, like, organization just to collect, like, Wait. I don't know, 10,000 bucks tops from everybody. Is this constitutional? I want to just express how I feel right now. Fuck them. Oh, my and yo, people want to talk shit about socialists. Oh yeah, we say fuck landlords, fuck landlords. Yo, it's because of shit like this is why we say fuck landlords. How did that get into the mind of a state legislator? How did that fucking system get into the mind where it's like, okay, let me see. You could get a tax credit. You'll be good. But yeah, the tenant, yeah, they need to pay. And you know what? We'll just get them on a state plan for 10 fucking years while we extract more money from them. Come on now. I, I hate saying it, but yo, that's dystopian. Straight up. It is what it is. It's dystopian. Give well, tenants the fucking money, if anything. Like, I don't think period. we should be giving the landlords anything, but why fucking put us into debt? Why not just <sighs> give it to us to, to use directly? Yeah, you still Fuck don't even them. get the money, because keep in mind, this isn't really a loan. This is a, no, a, a break on rent. That's not a loan. Nobody gave me fucking money. Nobody no. gave me, like, an asset that I keep, like a car. Like, if I buy a car on credit, that's a loan, dude. I keep the car. 
Anyway. Yeah, and, uh, and, you know, I just, they're, they're giving tax credits to people with land. Like, for all of us people that don't have fucking land, we are not getting anything back from the government. We are just giving money into the government, and it's another mechanism by which it is then being given to fucking capitalists, to landlord capitalists. So to uh, stop us from uh, our path we're going down of turning ourselves into Maoists live on this podcast, breathe. just to go back to New York real quick, <laughs> just breathe. When Vic gets mad, his uh, New York accent comes out. Oh, uh, get about it. <laughs> so Tuesday's vote came amid the backdrop of the announcement by county officials that it is aiming for... Sorry, I'm laughing at this too. Aiming for a reopening of the region by 4th of July, potentially providing an opportunity for more people to go back to work and begin making regular rent payments by the time the city's new moratorium expires. Long Beach has its own health department, so it's not required to follow the county's plan, but it often moves with in unison with the region. Okay, so they're saying the regular rent payments are starting. All right, cool. Regular rent payments. But what about the back rent? They don't even factor that into the equation. They're just saying, let the state handle it. Oh, the state will take care of them. They're in that 10-year repayback program. Come on, man. Like, no. It's no. Simply no. I think this shows the limits of the neoliberal imagination. Like, this journalist and the city council members are literally this is their thought potentially providing an opportunity for more people to go back to work like they they literally in their minds think that it's fine if it says four more people right it doesn't say everybody that's fine with them like as long as it's enough people to keep things like okay and only like a couple thousand people get evicted just just like you know the country's happy with most people being able to afford health care yeah. right mm-hmm. we're okay with yep. most people being able to not be evicted. Well, that's what that's what scares me most about this crisis, right? Is it's obviously bad, and I, I don't, I'm not an accelerationist, so I don't have this like wacky idea that if it gets worse, then we'll magically have a socialist revolution and everything will be fine. But at the same time, my biggest fear is that this crisis is just bad enough where like it doesn't get to the tipping point where any real change occurs. Like you said, Miles, the majority can make the rent, right? And then 40% of renters get evicted, and somehow the system keeps chugging along. You know. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think an accelerationist outcome is very likely. I think what's more likely is the traditional mechanisms of control, which is threat of violence, right? Which is alive and well, very strong in the United States. We have militarized police forces. If there is truly massive at scale discontent, I imagine that's going to be employed first. So a point our researcher Max brought up, so we're at the end of the article, but a, a good point our researcher Max brought up is that the city council is passing this stuff unanimously, which is rare for them. They've been passing all of this zero to nine. And what, what seems to be happening, and this has been happening more and more in city council, is that a lot of the discussion is getting, it's happening in back rooms, right? Which, by the way, is illegal in California, but let's not go there. Mm. Uh, they actually suspended the law that makes it so you can't be an elected body that talks outside of a, an open meeting, by the way, because of the crisis, so that they could do remote calls. Um, but it, it kind of seems like like a lot of this is like the, like they shut off public comment effectively. It's hard to reach them by phone. You definitely can't go into their office anymore. So it's like it's becoming less and less democratic. Yeah. And so the cashier at Albertsons not making a living wage is deemed essential. But these dumbasses who fucking make laws and ordinances stay home because they're not essential, obviously. Right. The people that run the fucking city aren't essential. That makes no sense. That makes no sense. That's the paradox. That, that's so funny because that's how you said it, Vic. That's how the city council is set up. It's part-time in a city of 500,000 people. These people have other jobs. 
Susie Price every day drives to Orange County and prosecutes people. Yeah, it's fucking. I mean, they don't run the city. The thousands of workers, the city workers, the thousands of city workers, yes. they run the city. The city manager runs the city. The mayor does not run the city. He's also a figurehead, by the way. I mean, honestly, when we say this stuff, we should say the city manager. Like, he's the one who holds the real power. But I'm glad we checked out this article. It kind of it kind of shows, like, how the decision makers are thinking about this. Yes. And they're, they're kind of weak sauce, you know, liberal plan, which is kind of a non-plan, which we all see is going to explode. And not even just radical people like us. Like, a lot of people I talk to, I ask them about this debt thing, and they're like, that doesn't seem like a good idea. It doesn't you know, add up. On board. It doesn't yeah. add up. It's not practical. It's a terrible idea. Who wrote that article? Jason Ruiz. Shout out to Jason. Thanks if for I the said good that work. Way. Yeah. Uh, he yeah. does do a lot of Shout good work out. covering the city council. Good to have these articles. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. What an article. What a show. Mm. We got the blood going. We learned about rent strikes. We had a great interview with Beto. Anything else you guys want to add before we get out of here? That's it for me. I think I'm going to go find a drink. <laughs> Bond <laughs> yeah, gets over here. I'm going to go do some breathing exercises because it's not society's fault. It's my fault. Yep. I'm going to, th- I'm going to think about my, per- I'm going to sit in my apartment that I'm not paying rent on right now. And I'm protected by the eviction moratorium for now and think about the personal life choices that led me to have a job and then, you know, allow the coronavirus to destroy my job that I'm going to think about what I did. I'll just be here. Yeah. Doing some breathing exercises myself. Please, listeners, rate and review us on iTunes in all your podcast formats. Want to give a shout out to our producer, Max Norris. And we're out of here. Thanks for listening. And I'm Vic. I'm Miles. And I'm Jordan. And don't forget to ask yourself, wait, why am I talking?